Sometimes people say, how'd you make the leap? I'm like, I didn't make the leap. Given all the information in front of me, I made the next step. And if God is God, if God created and sustains everything, and if God can honor His Word to where you have all these foretellings of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, and Jesus comes and fulfills most of them, except for the ones that He's going to fulfill on His soon return, then that God says this is how it's supposed to be, then I can do that. Everyone approaches faith from a slightly different angle. Today, Pastor Daniel is going to explain how walking by faith in God really makes the most logical sense. When you look at God being the God of the universe who created all things and holds all things together, and when you see that he's also a God who keeps his promises, the next logical step is to trust him. And when you trust him, you can do whatever he says to do. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as he begins his message, A Warning. Let's open up in those Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 as we continue our ever so leisurely jaunt through the Bible. I was talking to someone, they said, are we ever going to get done with Deuteronomy? And I said, not at this rate. No, probably not. But it's amazing when you go really, really slow and you've already covered a lot of this stuff already. Because the book of Deuteronomy literally is the second telling of the law. So a lot of this stuff we've already seen and grappled with as we've gone through Exodus and Leviticus and numbers, but we realize that God's word meets us afresh every time we hear it, because it's alive. No matter how many times you read a passage, no matter how many times you study a passage, because God is doing a work, a progressive work in each one of our lives, you can hear something one day and then hear it a year later and it hits you in a completely different way because God is doing different things in your life. And so it's so important for us to never, ever feel like, oh, I've heard this before. I've studied this before. No, no. God's word is alive. And as God is doing a work, a heart work in each one of us, each and every day, the same thing you've heard a million times can speak to you in a very fresh way if you have a humble, teachable spirit. And you're not looking just to have your ears itched, right? That talks about, the apostle Paul talks about that in the last days, that in the last days, People will heap up teachers who will keep itching their ears. Like I always tell people, hopefully I'll never tell you something brand new because there's nothing new under the sun, but I'll keep reminding you of the old things. My job as a teacher is to speak the word and the spirit who dwells in you will affirm that word because it's his word. I don't want to give you some fancy interpretation that's never been done before because most likely it'll be wrong. Because people have been studying God's word for a long, long time. So we need to hear these things over and over and over again. Now, we're picking up in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're picking up at verse 10. We have just seen that great prayer that's called the Shema, which in the Hebrew literally means to listen. 
It's one of the most sacred and famous prayers. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it goes on. And we spent, I don't know, three or four messages going through just about five verses because we wanted to make sure we understood them. Now, in verse 10, look at what it says. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. It says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, this is a warning to the children of Israel. Now, don't forget, they're standing on the, right outside the promised land. By the time Moses finishes the second telling of the law, he's going to die. He's going to go home to be with the Lord. And Joshua's going to assume the place of leadership. And they're going to go into the promised land, a land that God has promised them. And he says to them, listen, when the Lord brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is about once they enter the land. Now notice this. When God brings you into the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, brothers and sisters, When God makes a promise, he intends to keep that promise. And you can take the promises of God to the bank, so to speak. God, when he makes a promise, he intends to keep it. And God told Abraham, he told Isaac, and he told Jacob that their descendants were going to end up in a land that they could call their own. And God's going to fulfill that. You know, Charles Spurgeon wrote this great little devotional called the checkbook, God's checkbook of faith. And it's a beautiful, if you like reading uh, Spurgeon, he's from a couple centuries ago, so he doesn't write in contemporary language. But each day is a little mini devotion, and it's a promise, and he unpacks the promise. And he calls it God's checkbook because he's like, you can bank on God's promises. And so when God says, I'm going to bring you into the promised land because I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God's going to do it. And you can stand on the promises of God. Now, don't get me wrong, God, in honoring his promises, rarely works things out the way that we think he will. That's one of the things that we struggle with, right? God has plans and ways that we don't understand. Like God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their descendants were going to go into a land, but they actually had to end up in slavery first in Egypt for a long time before that happened. You're like, well, Lord, what kind of plan is that? But God has a plan. And God's plans often don't play out in a way that makes sense, but God will always fulfill his promises because God is faithful. I ask you today, which of God's promises are you struggling to stand on right now? See, in each one of our lives, there are messy situations. There are things that are going on that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. There are things that are happening that you're like, how is this going to work? We need to learn how to stand on God's promises. We have to choose to, by faith, believe in what we do not yet see. That's what faith is, isn't it? Faith is trusting. It's not a leap of faith. It's a logical step, given all the information that you have, that God is faithful and God will fulfill his promises. 
Sometimes people say, how'd you make the leap? I'm like, I didn't make the leap. Given all the information in front of me, I made the next step. And if God is God, if God created and sustains everything, and if God can honor his word to where you have all these foretellings of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, and Jesus comes and fulfills most of them, except for the ones that he's going to fulfill on his soon return, then that God says this is how it's supposed to be, then I can do that. I can trust that. Each one of us has to choose every day to walk by faith. And to live our lives standing on the promises of God. But what we have a tendency to do, and the children of Israel did it long before we did, we have a tendency to get our eyes off of the Lord and his promises and onto our situations, and we try and figure out how to work these things out. And we always end up in trouble then, don't we? Now, from this promise, notice what he says. I'm going to bring you into this land that I promised in the middle of verse 10 to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full. Then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God gives the children of Israel a very important warning. He said, look, I'm going to bring you into this promised land. And when you get into the promised land, you're going to be living in cities that you didn't build. You're going to be living in beautiful houses that are full of everything you need. And you didn't fill them. Your wells, you're going to have abundance of water. And you didn't dig those wells. And you're going to have vineyards. All of the wine, which was a staple beverage in that time, which you didn't plant, you didn't tend to. He's like, but beware when that happens and you're full that you'll forget me. See, for so many people, when they hit rock bottom, they say, I need God. And people show up broken. Now, when someone shows up broken, I always say, praise God. Because when someone shows up to Jesus broken, Jesus says, yeah, I've been waiting for you. Come on. Come on. I take you just as you are. I love that about the Lord. He always says, Jesus never says, listen, you go away, get your act together, and then come talk to me, because I can't be seen with the likes of you. He doesn't say that. He always receives us just as we are, and he cleans us up. He says, look, I love you just as you are, but I also love you too much to leave you like this, so you're showing up broken, and I'm here for you, and I'm going to take care of you. But you know what happens oftentimes? Once we get all fixed up and cleaned up and things start rolling again, we leave, because We got what we wanted, which was to not be broken, but we also didn't fall in love with the Lord. And what happens is, is really all we want is to not be busted, not be hurting. And then God makes us strong, and then we stray away. I've seen this too many times in my life. And this warning is necessary because I believe there's some of you right now Right now, as you're hearing this, in this moment, God has taken you from such a broken place and now you're full and your heart is starting to stray. That when you, at one point, because of what God was doing in your life, because he met you at your lowest point and loved you with a love like you could never imagine, and then you started getting strong away, then you start straying away. And I believe there's some of you here right now, this is where you are. And you hear me saying that and you're saying, 
Maybe that's me. This is a warning. See, God loves us enough to warn us. God loves us enough to say, you have to be careful of this. As a parent, I do this all the time with my kids. I love them so I want to warn them. I want to warn them about things that they need to be careful about. I need to tell them, listen, I love you so much and I'd never want to hurt you. Like, we have gas cans in our garage, you know? And I tell my kids, I mean, now listen, that very, very dangerous. Well, what is it? Well, it's gasoline. How does it work? Well, we put this one in the lawnmower and, and that's how it works, but it's very flammable. If you bring matches around this, you shouldn't be playing with matches anyway, but if you do, this thing will go on up and you're going to burn. It's going to be really, really, really bad. And I don't do that because I don't love my kids. I do that because I do love them, right? I love them enough to warn them. One of the biggest things we need to be careful of is when we move from the place of need to the place of having enough that we forget that our deepest need is to walk with the Lord. When you give this warning to somebody who's first stepping back into a relationship with the Lord being broken, everybody says, I'll never do that. But it happens too often. When God takes care of the urgent needs, when God meets you in your broken places and works on your behalf to take care of you, we have to be careful that we do not forget the Lord and what he's done. Now, all through the Bible, there's this beautiful practice of erecting a pile of stones when God does something. They're called stones of remembrance. Maybe you remember the old hymn, I raised my Ebenezer. The Ebenezer stone was a stack of stones that when people would walk by, they'd see the stack of stones and they'd say, what happened here? And they'd say, oh, well, God did this here. And I think for many of us, we need to learn how to erect memorials in our heart for the things that God has done. Because what happens is, is over the normal course of time, the intensity and the rapidity that life happens is, we're going to forget all the things that God has done. And we need to be able to go back into our hearts to those areas of brokenness and pain, those areas where we showed up and we were completely at the mercy of God and he met us and he took care of us so that we would be triggered when we see or remember that thing to say, oh, God is so faithful, Lord, let me never leave you because you have never left me nor forsaken me. Now, it's an important warning, but do you ever think about why God would warn this? Think about this for a second, because this really gripped me today. It's a necessary warning, right? But God is faithful to his people, and a real relationship has faithfulness on both sides. And really what the Lord is doing is he's saying, I've been faithful to you. Will you be faithful to me as well? And in any relationship, right, the faithfulness on both parties is what makes that relationship work. You can't have one-sided faithfulness to have a real relationship, a real mutually beneficial relationship. When you have one side who is faithful and the other side who lacks fidelity, you end up having one person doing all the work and the other person just taking all the time. And so God wants us to return in faith, his faithfulness with our faithfulness. Because that is what a covenant relationship is supposed to look like. 
God is, he's like, look, I took you out of the land of Egypt. I fulfilled the promise that I gave to your forefathers and I want you to be faithful to me. We live in a world that's full of infidelity. We live in a world where people in our country used to say, you know, they could just shake hands. It was a gentleman's agreement. My word is my bond. Now you need to have 97,000 pages that you need to sign. Because we've lost a world where people say what they mean, they mean what they say, they fulfill the things that they make. Now we have to have legalese and lawyers and all these things because we live in a world that lacks faithfulness. Now listen, we live in this world, but we are not to live like this world. And the people of God should be people of great faithfulness because we walk with the God who will never leave nor forsake his people. We walk with a God who has been abundantly, infinitely faithful to us at the expense of the life of Jesus. The cross was God's ultimate act of faithfulness. When he said, I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve. And if God is faithful, he would hope that we would be faithful in return. And one of the things that draws away from God is when all of our needs are met. It's the curse of affluence. And there may not be a more besetting sin culturally in 21st century America than this. Because we live in a nation. We live in cities that we didn't build. We live in houses that we didn't build. We got Costco. We didn't have to go and make all those cookies or pick all those fruits, you know, or kill all those animals to get all that meat, you know? And we have a tendency to forget the Lord. And really what we end up worshiping is our checkbooks, our online banking balance, because that's what really gets us the needs. And we lose the reality that God is the one who bestows. So if you're hearing this right now, whether here, as I'm teaching it, or on the radio, or on the television, or on the internet, or on a mobile app, you got to ask yourself, has God's faithfulness to me become a situation where now I'm starting to stray from him? He's taken care of my needs, and now I'm taking his care for granted. So no, it's a warning from the Lord, and a warning that we would be wise to heed. Now, in verse 13... Look at what it says. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. Verse 15, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. Now, this is the passage that Jesus actually quotes back to Satan when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. You shall fear the Lord God 
and serve him. And then later it says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So this is a verse that I hope you realize that in context, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness is the New Testament parallel to Adam and Eve being tempted in the Garden of Eden. Now, think about the differences. Because Adam is called the first Adam, and Jesus is called the second Adam. Think about this. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They lived in paradise. Everything was there, right? They have an abundance of food, but they have one prohibition. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But Adam and Eve, in paradise, surrounded by food, with one tree that had a prohibition. All the other trees were full of fruit. They could eat anything they want except one tree. Adam and Eve were tempted and failed. Now, by contrast, Jesus, the second Adam, he's in the wilderness, and he's been fasting for 40 days. So he's not, you can eat whatever you want except one tree. He's in the wilderness. It's not paradise. It's desolate. And there's no food he hasn't eaten for 40 days. And yet when the serpent comes, when Satan comes and tempts Jesus, Jesus doesn't fail. It shows that Jesus is the new and better Adam, who although tempted, was without sin. Most people don't make those parallels, that they don't realize that Jesus is fulfilling what Adam couldn't. By extension, you could also say that Jesus in his wilderness temptation is also the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams of Israel because Jesus was in the wilderness and Israel was in the wilderness. And as we see, that Israel failed in a million ways when they were tempted in the wilderness. But Jesus was in the wilderness and was not tempted or swayed. It's powerful. If you start reading your Bible, you start to put all these things together and you say, wow, wow. That's why Jesus, because of his, though he was tempted as we are yet without sin, that's why Jesus was the worthy sacrifice on the cross. Because he lived the life that we have failed to live. And God accepted him in our place. Now, part of this warning, again, is to see our relationship with God rightly. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve the Lord your God. These are important realities. We talk about fearing the Lord a lot. We see it all through our Bibles, from Genesis to Revelation. It's part of the relationship. We always want to remember that God has a personal and intimate and casual relationship with us, but we also have to remember who he is. Jesus ate your homeboy. He's your Lord and Savior. He's the King and Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's the best friend you'll ever have. So it is both a casual relationship, but he's a so much more than just your bro. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel continued teaching through the series called Refresh, where Moses is offering the people a refresher course on the law before they enter the land. We can learn something from this second telling of the law. The Word of God meets us fresh every time we return to it. It's alive and active. And as God does a progressive work in your life, the Word meets you in new ways. God's Word never grows old or stagnates. 
everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Thanks for joining us today. Next time, Pastor Daniel will share that when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, he quotes Deuteronomy 6. This temptation is a parallel to the first temptation of Adam and Eve. They were surrounded by good things but failed to resist the temptation of the one thing they couldn't have. Jesus was in a desert, but he kept from failing by keeping the law. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.